Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Uncle Colin Isaac and we're going to be doing an extended interview with him. It's basically a continuation of our discussion last week. I'm really honoured to have him back because when um, Uncle and I spoke last week, we really didn't get much time to talk about a lot of the things that we wanted to discuss. For example, looking at the treaty, looking at the statement for the heart, looking at other perspectives, and also exploring a little bit more in regards to native title. Um, Just wanted to give a very belated warning that there may be audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have died throughout the show. So today I've got a marvellous opportunity to, to do this extended interview because that's all I've got today. And then after that we're going to be doing some music. Um, next week we'll be interviewing um, Lee Morgan, who is a Koori musician from Melbourne. Um, and he's got another interview today and won't be able to make it. So we'll be speaking with Colin shortly. And just to give a little bit of an overview, he's... And he'll talk to, to us about what land he's from shortly. But he is a First Nations elder and a painter, a sculptor and traditional carver. And he's one of the original Mile Creek Massacre Memorial members and is the Mile Creek Memorial artist in residence. So, and over the years, he's been very active and, and has, has done really amazing things He's done over 40 years, um, you know, doing a lot of artist stuff. And he's also been resided in Sydney as well and um, worked with, with producing artwork as well. So last week we started off talking to Uncle Colin about not just NAIDOT week, but about what is treaty? What does treaty mean to him? What does treaty mean to a lot of elders? What sort of consultation has there been? What about native title, you know, the Marbo decision? All of those things. So we'll talk to him about that and, and about his life. Okay, so, um, yeah, we'll be talking to him shortly. 20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside. I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. Well, all the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. Show. It's so great to have you back, Colin. Welcome. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you. you know, 
appreciate Lovely the opportunity. Having. Okay, so let's um, continue our discussion from last week because I had three interviews last week and I, I felt like it was we had to we had to plough through it. But today, today it's all about you, Uncle. <laughs> What can I say? Lucky me. Lucky you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so did you want to start off just because we, we, may, we may even have a few new listeners, we don't know, but yeah. just want, could you just refresh everything and just tell us, first of all, what land you're from? Well, I've come from Bidjigal, um, but um, I'm Darabal Dangari Nungai as well, and extended family to... Nagarabal Gamaroi. I'll put a clarify that a bit better because I've got a lot of cross bloodline. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. But um, La is basically, for those who don't know where Bichigal is, in Sydney. Cool. Yeah. Okay, no, that's good so that, just so that people know, you know. Yeah. Um, so... Should we start off then just, I mean, they're not weeks over. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe we should just revisit the topic because, I mean, they're not week is really about all year, not just that particular yeah. week, is it? Yeah. Um, we started talking last week about the history of NAIDOC week. Hmm. Um, what What do you think it was, it's about? It was more about protest originally, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, um, the protesters brought NAIDOC Week to the forefront with, um, to inspire and inspiration to our young and to bring the art, culture and dance to the forefront and to um, come out of the shadows, so to speak. You know, stand up and be counted. Stand tall and be proud of who you are and where you come from and all your mob. Uh, that's basically how I saw NADOC when I was first getting introduced to it as a young fella. And um, I've really got to give it to the politicals for keeping the momentum up to get uh, our art and culture to the forefront rather than in the background. And where it was just seen as a uh, tourist thing. And, you know, uh, now it's come to the forefront where it's uh, maturing and uh, it's creating um, professional positions for those that are in the industry. And like with um, TV and all that as well. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's uh, something that's inspired us all. And like when I see my grandkids and uh, grand. Um, my own kids even, uh, getting into the art and culture. And I feel proud, you know. My forefathers, ain't lost in vain. We're still reviving it. It's like, um, well, take my own area. <laughs> uh, the culture over the, uh, from the point of uh, the invasion, uh, we've lost our culture three times. Uh, three times we had elders come back in and put it back, and now the current generations are trying to push it to the forefront again. And um, me myself, uh, I don't have a problem with that. I kind of enjoy participate, participating in that, even though I've uh, been a bit quiet these days. But I've always... Uh, put art displays and stuff on for the kids in the area that I was living in, which was the rural area. So uh, I was supplying three or four towns with artworks for my artwork when it first started. Now, everybody's up doing it in these areas and people are coming to the forefront. And like I said, it's uh, those are proud. Just to see it's still happening, you know, it's even more proud to see the young fellows getting into it, and especially the young uh, girls getting into the dance and stuff. It uh, looks quite, I mean, can you say, it, quite beautiful. It is, uh, isn't it? It's all, you know, and it's always good. I know that last week we had some people that really are not satisfied with NAIDOC Week. Um, 
there's always a good side to it too, isn't there, in terms of the art? Yeah. Well, it's look. Um, no matter how good something is, you have people that want to see more and see it progress to a bit more professional level, and that's understandable. But if we got what we got. We go with that and try to add to it as time goes on. And um, like, I'd like to see some things uh, added to it, but uh, I think it's up to all of us to decide how we want our NADOC um, to proceed further in our own local areas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe in Sydney. Um, it's like uh, the measles broke out. Everybody wants to do the NADOC and they all want to do art shows and dance and culture and the elders come out and support it or participate. Better. And that way we know that the knowledge is being passed on or being approved by the elders. Yeah. You know, and it's something to visually stimulate them. So can you tell us a little bit about your art and some of the projects that you've done over the years to... Because, I mean, we've been pretty much... All of us have been robbed of Aboriginal history. Yeah. Um, from the history books. Mm. Do you think that... Can you tell us about how your art has contributed to... Um, you know, discussing the frontier wars and colonisation? Yeah, I've always done that. It's, um, well, put it this way. Um, that Captain Cook uh, landed in our little harbour and everything started from there. Like, the elders used to point out to us that uh, as far as you could see beyond the horizons, that's your land. So basically they were educating us to... Uh, our loyalty on ownership and all this, but more so to make sure we never lost that connection to that land. So um, as I was growing up, my grandmother uh, continues to sit there and tell us all the old stories uh, when she had a big mob of us kids in the land room. And uh, I'd go in the room and paint them. And she encouraged me all the way. And then when I used to go down to the, the mission and that and show all the rest of the elders, uh, I'd say, great, and they were real specific about how I was to do it. And then I'd run into a point where uh, you can do this, you can't do that. So at that point, I was thinking, well, I'll create my own imaging to add to the the collection of knowledge that I do have. And um, I went for um, another easier way to create an interpretation that I could explain to uh, the young people, non-Aboriginals more specifically, to get them to understand the better interpretation so they wouldn't be... Uh, I could tell them the story and they'd remember it. How did you do that, Uncle? Well, like I said, I've started to create my own imaging as well. So I'm not imposing on um, tribal or customary law. And um, I've done a whole lot of designs with the paintings. I put it in front of the elders and explain what I'm trying to do. And uh, they were impressed. So they gave me the nod and I just went for it from there. But um, what it was is um, I got tired of seeing everything in the tourist area. And I thought it was time for Aboriginal Australia in art, culture, and even in the politics especially, to mature. Yeah, we're not just all tourist stuff, even no. though that helps our economy. I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying that... It should mature uh, to a high standard. Like in other countries around the world where they have uh, native groups, um, most of them countries uh, support their indigenous 
races um, back them right up. And mind you, I'm not saying they don't do it fully here, but they could do a lot more. And like you said, it's not just one day or one week of the year that we're all out there jumping up and down in the colours. We're there all year. Always was and always will be, I suppose. We have to look at it in that text. But uh, it's about uh, embracing that art and culture so we embrace the spirit that walks with us, you know? And it... um, it actually gave me a more stable part of my life where I could look at things in a more mature way and uh, say, well, we need to get to this level. So with the art and stuff, uh, and I must have been about uh, 17, going on 18, me and my brother, and we sat down and talked about uh, we, we want to go with the art and culture and watch it mature. But we decided that uh, besides what we're doing in Australia, we should take it outside of Australia and promote it there too. So in my current position, uh, I'm looking at doing global and I'm also looking at uh, taking it to the stock markets. Uh, we have our Aboriginal industry registered on the stock market. And it's uh, not so much about making money out of it, it's about the promotions of our uh, culture and race and the people and the circumstances that we're currently in. And sorry, now I've lost you there. So what oh, do you sorry. mean by the stock market? Well, I'm taking my company oh. to the world. I see. Yeah, it's like, um, well, put it this way. I can sell art and it's sold and that's that. I can do prints and keep selling them and that's fine. Oh, are you uh, talking about your art, selling the art? Yeah. Okay, good. Yep. Yeah. Now, if I was to take that art to a more matured level of business, then obviously I've got to be looking at offshore uh, galleries and studios, collectors, but more so uh, it's to say that uh, we're going fully matured with the art forms that we're currently doing, but it's not me going just by myself. I would be taking other artists with me. And, um, yeah, and it's about uh, giving them another doorway to a greater level. Be like, um, in the past years, um, we have people that get up there and they do well in that, but they're not really turning around and helping their fellow countrymen. Uh, whereas I do want to do that. Of course. And, I'm not the only one, but um, I'm going all out at the moment to try and set that structure in play now. That's fantastic. And is there a way that listeners can view the art? Well, it's on the website. Sorry, I'm just getting a bit lost on the website. That's okay. Um, That's Google you? Yeah, it's like if the... Google me in, the, uh, the art form shows up. If they um, want to look at the website itself, it's New Age Multimedia yep. slash Colin or Isaacs. Um, it's uh, got a broad range of art that's on there currently, and it incorporates the um, paintings, the wood birdings, uh, the sculptures um, in its current form. What would be, because it, sound, it all sounds very powerful, particularly the sculptures, but what would be the me, the message, one of them? Can you tell us at least one message that you would want to convey to people through your art? Yeah, I suppose it's like what I'm trying to say is uh, we're here and uh, we want to be seen and we want to be heard. And... Um, 
I want them to know that uh, the spirit's still connected to the art forms that I'm currently doing. You know, it's um, I suppose it's quite a place. If uh, we can become successful, uh, we can influence more people. More so, we'd be able to help more people. Um, but I'm just trying to say that um, it, I'm one of thousands, yeah. and uh, and it takes a whole heap of us to make that beach. Like we're all like a grain of sand. Each one of us is one brain. Uh, so you want to be a mentor for, for other uh, First Nations people? Yeah. Um, basically, that's what I've been doing. Um, I've, everywhere I've been, I've been teaching. Um, what I try to um, do is show them the shortcuts in getting the jobs done. But more so, I prefer that they concentrate on their own styles and implements and um, bring the best out on, in them. Mate, I surprise myself sometimes. I didn't know I could do something so good when I um, not really thinking what I'm about or what I'm doing, you know? Have you ever so, thought of perhaps doing an art project in the prisons? Because I know there's a lot of a lot of our yeah. indigenous brothers and sisters in there. Yeah. Um, well, I used to paint when I was in there myself. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I've got to get permission from the Governor General to be able to do that. Are you been to prison? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but um, I think like. Um, I was offered the opportunity to do that with a few of the prisons up here in New South Wales, um, but um, a whole bunch of structure changed within the prison system at the time, so that was put on hold and I never got around back around to it. But uh, I do know other people that have uh, participated in uh, those exercises. Yeah, and you'd be aware, obviously, that there really is a dreadful over-representation of um, incarcerated um, black fellas. Well, far too much. Eventually. Yeah. Like, um, the irony of it is, for those who are in there, um, they don't have the right to be locked up in there through the courts. If they um, have a look at the law journals, um, in the first paragraph, it clearly states that uh, we don't come under their law. Yeah. But situation, those who are currently occupying the law um, see fit to put us under their system, but we're not on their... Um, Citizenship. You know, I'm not a citizen of Australian Commonwealth, but um, if I do something wrong in their law, I'm getting jailed for it. And if I, um, basically, um, we're all uh, under the occupation. And we're duty bound to resist the occupation of the law. Paragraph 4, Section 4, Article 4 of the UN uh, Treaty Agreement. And, um, but as it is, uh, they should keep charging people and locking them up. And half of those people don't need to be locked up. And when I look at Queensland, and I've been talking to people there that's in the system, and it's overcrowded. They had four, three or four people in the one cell, and two of them would be sleeping on the floor. And that, you know, so... Um, it, um, putting them on revenge, keeping them um, out of the public uh, system, you know, 
I did something real drastic, I'd expect something like that. But if I had an option, I'd take tribal law punishment rather than the system of sitting in a cell for months and months on end. And half of them people haven't even gone to court yet. But I do understand where they're at. And um, when it comes to looking at those systems, I do feel very sympathetic towards um, people going in there and teaching or encouraging them to get into it. What I have noticed is there's so many fantastic, brilliant artists that come out of that system. Unfortunately, when they get out, uh, 70% of them stop painting. They only paint while they're locked up. And I suppose it does uh, fill in the time and it gives you a sense of uh, connection. And um, I suppose it's a, a point of pride, you know. They're doing something cultural. They're doing something that's um, got a uniting front within yeah. the system itself. Yeah. So I know what you mean about uh, the inside and what goes on there. Hmm. Yeah, which leads me on to my next point, because, I mean, we were just talking before about um, the law of the land and looking at, at tribal law. It'd be really good to continue our discussion from last week, looking at this statement from the heart, because I I want to see if I can do more interviews about this um, with First Nations people, because not everybody agrees with the statement of the heart. Well, put it this way, a lot of the governments don't even agree with it. Mm. Uh, like I said last week, yeah, I've got um, a real lot of friends all over the place, and that percentage that are gubbers, uh, their wording is, if I have to quote them, that's a load of rubbish. Um, people got to be um, <laughs> a bit docile to swing with it without questioning it. You know, that's coming from the gubbers and stuff that I've uh, talked to about it. Um, I've even been asked by uh, local councils uh, around Sydney to explain that statement to the heart of them because they themselves didn't believe that all the Aboriginals supported that. Uh, whereas uh, the ones that were just listening to the government rhetoric and stuff that was coming out, um, they were supporting it, not knowing what it really means or understanding of it. And I'm, it's, I'm just explaining to the others that you need to understand it to really appreciate what's written in it and see where your rights are and where they ain't. Um, and like I said, um, the one, one thing in all amongst that that really ticks me off Spiritual notion. Is what, sorry? The wording spiritual notion. Okay. Um, I heard governors might say that, but why would we say it? When we know it's a reality, you know, it's real. Yep. I've dealt with a lot of things in my life and the spirits have really... Had a time talking with me. I know that, and that's why I do what I do. But um, we all should be looking at it. Uh, the statement of the heart. Uh, everything that's written can have its good side and bad side. But the bad side of what I see, what's written, there was no full-on confrontation with all the different nations to start with. They only talked to about 130 groups, and then there's 250 nations they have to be talking to, and then you've got the language groups of the sub-nations. Uh, they need to be talked to. In this case of, if I wanted to push something on behalf of the tribe or accept something on behalf of the tribe, I have to sit down and discuss it with the groups that know more about it 
take that to the elders, explain that to them. They, in turn, bring it back to the rest of us in the community and say, yay or nay, we go this way, or we want changes or improvements or a better understanding, or more so, more clarity, fluent, flowing trans- interpretations. And everybody have a say on it before it's been put up and pushed in our face. Um, it's, as I said uh, to a lot of people, don't talk on my behalf. So oh, it's re- sorry. sorry, so it's really then what you're saying is that not only was there not enough consultation, but are you actually also kind of saying that there's no sovereignty here? Well, put it this way, I'll never say that. No? <laughs> um, it's just the way it's put across. Like, put it this way, um, over the years, and... Uh, consecutive governments and whatever, we come out with these new words like indigenous and yeah. all that. Yep. And um, this can be seen as one of those lights. Sure. You know, um, they want us to accept it. They make it look good uh, to a large degree. And um, like, put it this way, uh, if they would have brought that out, say... <laughs> 60 years ago or something like that, everybody most probably would have went along with it because of the lack of understanding. Exactly. But that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, sovereignty has never been ceded. That's right. It's like, and when we mention sovereignty, we should also mention Elodium. Where they might argue, want to argue about the sovereignty of it, and I'll argue about where's the receipt, bill of sale, you know. You've got none of that. So basically, these are all dealing in stolen goods, our land. Yeah, so it doesn't say much for the laws that be if they can't correct it. Yeah. And that all falls under to um, no jurisdiction and the, yep. the Mabo decision. That's all. Well, I mean, what is it when it all. I mean, I'm not saying that the Mabo decision doesn't have any value, but. Yeah. No, look. Did have value, but the government took it away. Yes. So, and where they celebrate Mabo Week for the deed that he did, he's quite honoured for doing that. But where the government turns around and takes that uh, native title right away because they want to do some mining, then why didn't the mining company come and talk to the traditional owners and negotiate? I'll, I'll explain this part. Um, before the mining companies to talk to the government, and the government will say, yeah, go ahead, don't worry about them there, we'll just move them on or work around them. Don't pay any attention to them. Now, uh, that caused ongoing arguments and people getting lawyers and nothing to pay out money that they really didn't have to start with. Where uh, what I'm noticing now... The mining companies that have gone and talked to the traditional owners and reached an uh, equitable agreement that they work in harmony and there's no um, arguing back and forth. It's like um, when they were doing the mining and everything else before and not talking to us, you might as well call that blood money because blood was spilt on that land. When the traditional owners sit down with the mining companies and talk, then that ain't uh, seen in the same light. That's a statement of cooperation between the two parties. And one is looked at sovereign to start with. So the mining companies acknowledge them in that position. Whereas the government... Uh, prior governments and that would not acknowledge the word sovereign when it came to Aboriginal Australia. Yeah, you know? basically we were the only one saying that. But you know, Uncle, when it really boils down to it, why, why would there ha- need to be negotiations between Aboriginal people and 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 mining companies? There shouldn't be mining at all. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I the mining it. company is making a request. Yeah. To sit down and um, talk. 
It's not the government uh, in the middle blocking it all. Uh, it's like, um, all right, so as far as the treaty goes, then this is just uh, from me talking to a few of my fellow Patriots. And they say to me, why do you want to do a treaty with them? They're nothing but a bunch of murderers and everything else. And I'm saying, well, let me explain something to you. Treaties were originally designed to end all that carnage. It's um, a thing where those deeds were done and you can't correct it. But for what comes down in the future for our children and their children, we have the opportunity to correct it because we're talking to the people direct. We haven't got government in there trying to do a bigger deal around us. And before, you wouldn't get any royalties. Mm. In the last 30 or 40 years, you start to see royalties and that come into it. And it's like New South Wales um, in the state law. Uh, royalties were never an issue talked when they were talking about Aboriginal areas of um, mining or whatever else they were doing, Yeah. Whereas now they're doing it, they're starting to pay royalties. I'll talk about it. Um, I suppose what it comes down to is uh, if you don't sit there and talk and get to know each other, then what grounds of respect will you have for each other in relation to the negotiations? You know, you want it so uh, we're educating them more so now to this. Uh, title of ownership. No, I'm not using the word native title for that. Just no. the title of ownership. And um, like any black or white, <laughs> uh, when they were doing business, they negotiated, they reached agreement, everybody moved on. And that's what's currently coming into play, but still a long way to go, which is a lot of areas where they're still trying to do it. But those particular companies or um, government agendas do not sit and negotiate with the traditional owners. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty soon there'll be nothing to, go, to negotiate about. All the land will be burnt and logged. Well, that's when they most probably give it back to us. They've got no use for it. There's enough of us and enough of us educated now to give it a run for its money. Um, and we talked about the Constitution last week, didn't we? Yeah. And you were talking about the fact that the Constitution is is really a, a, a GABA document? That's right. Strictly a government document. The only thing that might represent us on there is uh, they put the... Um, Kangaroo and Emu there on top of it. But nothing else in there refers to us other than we're not to own land or um, have any wealth. Um, and um, it's because uh, even for the governors, that document's outdated in this time frame. They need to update it. And more so, Acknowledge our sovereignty in that update, so things can be talked about in a proper manner and negotiated to the high heavens on them. Yeah. Right. All right. We got offshore mining and everything else. Now, I understand that so the mining that's offshore or in Western Australia, the Nungai. Get X amount of royalties and uh, X amount of employment out of it. Whereas the gas companies and stuff that want to go into um, Gummeroy country and mine around the Pil- Pilbara and that, uh, there's no talk about uh, joint negotiations or employment or anything else. And then you got to ask, why do we want to give it up? Only uh, doing all this because of um, shortages and the profit margin. 
Yeah. And of course, we've got our, our nuclear waste mm. dumps, and uh, that's a real problem too. Yes, it is, and uh, one that shouldn't even be here. Um, but we do have them. Uh, there's two. I think there's uh, the one I heard about so a couple of miles down, and that's packed to the heavens. You know, uh, with all this nuclear waste storage in there. What's that doing to the water systems that go around that area? Yeah. And if they ever had a big earthquake, the land broke open, the drums broke open, the draft would be carrying that back out and doing the rest of the scene. Yeah. That's, That's uh, right. Yeah, the, Wasn't uh, there also a, um, some sacred sites? were wiped out in Western Australia? Yep, and they're still trying to do it. Mm. Um, it's a Greer. That's it. Yeah, well, they um, sacked the last CEO that was causing all that. They're trying to make up ground and trying to negotiate a bit more with the people themselves. Uh, but this, like, they destroyed the sites. It's really hard to sit there and talk with those people after they've done that. Uh, at the same time, um, not that it needs a monetary value, but they never compensated the people or the land. Like, uh, they're digging holes everywhere. They're not filling them in. It's like when I was a young fella, I'd go out with my uncles and that. We'd make a fire, put in a little bit of a hole in that. The next day, before we left, we had to cover that hole up. Uh, there's no scars on the land. Uh, it's a uh, reference to we make sure our mother's left in good condition. Because you know? she'll uh, provide for us next time we come here. at mining and uh, at the top of Western Australia there, Northern Territory Way. Uh, there was a mining site there and um, they closed down, but they had all the uh, waste sitting in a concrete-type uh, swimming pool. And the um, over time, the swimming pool cracked and uh, given the weather and stuff, it was leaking down, going down into the river off the cliffs. And uh, downstream, I was wondering why all these dolphins were showing up dead. Oh. That's what I was saying to them. They are eating the fish that were up that end of the river where the nuclear uh, waste were seeping into the water. And, um, well, they wouldn't have done something about that. Uh, the damage was already done because of the way the grubbers just left everything. Out of sight, out of mind. So that's why royalties are called blood money. Yeah. Um, Things that were done without our consent, without our involvement, is just the same as if they picked up a gun and done it. Yeah, because... They had no consideration. They didn't even think we were human in the first place to be talking to. We were, like I said, we were flora and fauna. Uh, now that Australia's maturing a bit more, and still got a long way to go. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's like um, we don't see everything, but we do see things maturing in different areas. Uh, unless something gets through, it will influence whatever's behind it. And, like, I've run into a whole bunch of uh, business people, um, uptowners. I've assumed that they had a kind of a blank attitude and I was expecting all this while I'm talking. And, that, and I find out they're 
totally the opposite. They support us. They love the ideas of what we want to do with the art and culture and stuff in the district. And uh, they want to come behind us and um, participate. Uh, I was quite amazed by that. I'm not used to that. That's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, um, if they can see it and they can uh, move in that direction with us, then it make it a whole lot easier to influence others. But more so, the people that are moving with us, they have um, status and reputation. Uh, then people attach to it would enhance our part as far as the next generations um, that come up and they'd have a lot more easier time. But one time uh, here when I was young, you had black areas and white areas. Now, uh, in the recent days, that wasn't by law before it was, but um, you just felt kind of out of place walking around in them areas. And mind you, this is our own part of the country, just that it's been occupied by non-Aboriginals for so long, you know. And I watched the attitudes change. It doesn't mean it's all changed, but the general consensus, like, I'll give you an example. Mm. Uh, back in the 60s and that, um, that fellow got into trouble Sure enough, you'd hear it on the radio or the TV. Today, you don't hear that as much as what it was back then. You know, uh, uh, you can say the um, media system has changed their ideology of dialogue to suit the times, and the times is as it is currently. We're coming into um, our own form of uh, acknowledgement and uh, maturity of our own cultures uh, in the public domain. Not that it wasn't matured in the first place, but in the public domains, it's come a long way. Um, it has come a long way, but I also feel, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, yeah. that the media... Um, has changed, yes, and, and Aboriginal people are not are given things in their own right, like art and, you know, more employment, isn't it? But we have also the police force that are doing things um, on the quiet and there's deaths in custody now. Yeah. Even more. Yeah. Well, like I said, they come down to uh, within that system, the um, let's just say, uh, call it what it is, the racist attitudes that were there, or still are there, from a fair bit of it, and we always see the negative. We never get to see the positive oh, side of them. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. Now, uh, I got to see the positive side when I was young. What happened was uh, me and my brother were into motorbikes at the time and uh, we needed spare parts, so we helped liberate a few motorbikes. Anyways, the uh, police come around and they said, all right, we um, want to have a talk to you. So can you come down to the station? So we go down there and the uh, superintendent, he was uh, one that wanted to talk to us. And he said, uh, listen, um, <laughs> We'd like to know that uh, no one's got any more motorbike problems. I said, no, they won't. And they said, now, how would you like to have your own motorbike, you and your brother? And we went, what? You said, offering us a motorbike. And he said, well, there's a catch. And I said, what's the catch? And he said, I want you to join the police force. And the motorbike police. And we'll give you the motorbike and all that. And, uh, and uh, well, I was in shock because I wasn't used to this good guy stuff coming on me. Anyway, I uh, said, look, um, I appreciate the offer and I'm really grateful that you <laughs> considered it. But given the times, and this is back in late 60s, early 70s, uh, I said, um, I'd be seen as a trader within my own community. So 
I wouldn't be able to do that, plus the attitude of some of your fellow police officers wouldn't sit well with me. You said that? Yep. How old were you? Uh, 17. Good on you. Hmm. And, um, and you're alive to tell the tale? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I did have some tags on me. <laughs> um, what did but, he say? <laughs> no, he um, he said thank you. Um, thank you for explaining that part to us, and I can see your situation. But if he's um, ever decide to um, want to go riding motorbikes, come back and see me, and I'll sign you up. Wow! But but uh, I was really. Um, We'll put it this way. I've used the word I was privileged to be asked. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for a superintendent to, instead of looking at us as uh, them Aboriginals at LARPA again, we'll get them, lock them up. He's gone for an alternative solution. Well, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose. Yeah. So, and um, what it was is um, a few of my good friends... Uh, their parents were police officers and stuff, and they'd welcome us into the house, have dinner and stay there the night sometimes with them and stuff. Yeah. And so I've seen the good ones as well as the uh, normal ones. Look, there's a, as you would know, obviously, you'd know this more that better than me, there's a terrible history, isn't there, mm-hmm. going back to mission days, yep. you know, of the way police have been. It's approximately 4.52, and we're nearing the end of our show. Time flies when you're having fun. We've not, yeah. We've been here for about nearly an hour, and I've really enjoyed your company, but we're going to have to finish pretty soon. soon. Any final comments you wanted to make before we finish, Uncle? Oh, what can I say? Teach all the kids pride of place and make them stand well. Exactly. Yeah. And last part... Make sure you teach them the right way. Exactly. Yeah. And please try and and get the art. Um, I'm just going to say to listeners to um, go onto the website um, and have a look at at Uncle Colin's art, um, which is a wonderful contribution. What it is is I won't brag about it. You have a look at it and tell me what you think. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so no much way. for coming onto the program. No, I feel honoured and privileged that you asked me to come back. Thank Lovely you. to have you. I'm sure I'll be asking you back um, very soon. Thanks so no much. Worries. All right. Thanks. Yama. Yama. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail loss now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Istra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. First Nations people are 3% of the population, yet represent 29% of the general prison population. 89% of First Nations women entering prison are unsentenced. Istra Melbourne is asking you to sign the No Crime, No Time petition, which can be found on Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival returns with a huge showcase of the most critically acclaimed documentaries from across the globe. Highlights include opening night film Eternal Spring, bringing to life an unprecedented story of defiance on the 20th anniversary of a TV station hijacking in China, Australia My Home, and Albanian Migration, depicting the stories of three generations of Albanian migrants to Australia, and many more. July the 20th to the 31st at Cinema Nova, a 3CR supporter.
Imagine what it would be like to be homeless in a city under curfew and in lockdown. When your everyday life has been turned upside down and it becomes illegal to be on the street. Tune in to Homeless in Hotels. A three-part radio series giving voice to the people who went from a life on the street to a life in hotels. And the support workers experiencing the shifting ground on the front line of COVID-19. Premiering on Thursday, July 28th, 12pm to 1pm. On 3CR, 855 AM. Homeless in Hotels, a 3CR supporter. and all about his art and it's always good to hear um, achievements and contributions by Aboriginal elders and the way he talked about young people and mining and treaty, it was just amazing. So a cheerio out to to Colin and also to Joe as well that that helped um, organise this interview. It's approximately 4.56, we've got about one minute left. Thank you once again to everybody that donated to the Doing Time show. We we more than met our target. Thank you very much indeed. And goodbye from Marissa. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 or 5 for the Doing Time show. And um, we're going to be going out now with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella, by the Rumpy Band. Thanks so much.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.